What is up, everybody? Welcome to the 44 Formula One podcast and this week's Imola GP recap. As always, I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com with my co-host, Dan Weiner, the senior producer at BetSperts. Before we get into everything today, just want to remind everybody that 444 has teamed up with Run the Sims for projections, tools, and content for both F1 and USFL DFSN betting. So if you haven't signed up yet, go over to runthesims.com or check out the link in the description and use promo code four for four for 10 percent off usfl and f1 offerings uh if you didn't know or you haven't been paying attention run the sims founder justin freeman did chop first place this week in the big f1 gpp so we'll definitely be getting into that but before we get there dan how are you i'm great man it uh good maybe not the most exciting race for like four-fifths of it but <laughs> yeah an interesting race a lot of things to kind of like sink your teeth into from a just a storyline standpoint, from a betting standpoint, from a DFS standpoint. So we've had four races, and even if the, like they haven't necessarily at times been like the most thrilling wheel to wheel racing, all of them have been interesting in some form or fashion. So it's a good weekend, and and it's fun to to be back and talking about it. Yeah, the one um, consistent thing we've had is at the very least exciting in midfield, even if we haven't had um, a ton of battles up front, uh, except for uh, I think the first week Max and Charles were battling it out a bit. But uh, Max is the uh, Max is full boomer bust. He, if he doesn't finish, uh, if he finishes, he's winning. If, if he doesn't win, he's just uh, retiring the car. But we've had some exciting midfield every single week, and, and that's why DFS and betting is fun because we get to really pay attention to that midfield. But let's talk a little bit um, about the race and things that stood out to you. Yeah. Um, like last week, complete dominance at the top for the second week in a row. This time, Max Verstappen, who if you watch the sprint race, he struggled out of the gate. And that race did not hear got off to a great start. And that was basically all she wrote at the top of the race. Like, when we had the, the race two weeks ago in Australia, Leclerc, there was one stretch where Verstappen kind of made a charge at him and Leclerc held him off and then it was over. Nah, none of that on Sunday. Max Verstappen for the second week in a row, we had a grand slam, which again, if you haven't followed, that is qualifying in first fastest lap of the race, leading every lap of the race and winning the race and throw on top of it that he won the sprint. I think we can call that the max. Slam yeah. What do, yeah. The max slam. I was going to ask, do we have a yeah, name for the, the max sprint? slam right, is what max I think slam. we're going to call it. Right. Um, First time we've had back-to-back -back Grand Slams in a season since 2013. Fourth time ever, but just the second since 1963. And the first ever by two different drivers in consecutive weeks. Uh, but behind Max, man, that first lap was chaotic. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo got into Carlos Sainz and wrecked Carlos Sainz out of the race. So for the second week in a row, Carlos Sainz finished. His, his day was over within the first two laps of the race. Behind them... Uh, Mick Schumacher got into Fernando Alonso, which messed up both of their days. On the sixth lap, the damaged side pod of Alonso's car just fell off. Yeah, that was that was crazy. He just he just barely got bumped, and there was yeah. a, a, a little bit of a dent, and that dent turned into a a hole the size of uh, uh, the size of half of his car, basically. Second time this year that's happened to a, a an Alpine car. It happened in practice to Ocon, but that one it just kind of happened. This one he got. His, uh, he got a wheel on the side of his car and that'll, that'll yeah that yeah. will happen um yeah signs and alonzo the only two drivers though who didn't finish the race george russell was the biggest beneficiary of the collision on the first lap he moved from 11th to 6th right out of the gate again george russell making the most of what he has the race director felt track was too moist for drs through most of the race so it was basically fairly uneventful for the most of the rest of the race uh valtteri bota botas uh, chased russell that was a pretty interesting battle for a lot of the time of course you know the former mercedes driver against the guy who replaced him yuki Tsunoda had a great race as well and it seemed like the final notable thing that happened in the race was going to be the final indignity in the crap week that it was for Lewis Hamilton, when the guy who he battled tooth and nail last year for the title, Max Verstappen, lapped Lewis Hamilton in this race. And that was miserable for Hamilton. And it seemed like that was it until it wasn't when Ferrari with Leclerc in third place, uh, Leclerc got off to a bad start. He fell from second to fourth battled back into third they opted to put him into the pits to put soft tires on to try to see if he could get second or the fastest lap but all that did was inspire red bull to do the same thing with both of their cars on lap 53 leclerc was chasing perez 
uh, but he got into the chicane, spun out into the wall, was able to save the car, fell back into ninth, was able to battle back for a sixth place finish, but a uh, pretty miserable end to the day for Ferrari. Verstappen and Sergio Perez finished one, two for Red Bull, a dominating performance for them. Their first uh, one, two finish since 2016. Lando Norris sneaks his way in onto the podium again at Emila. Russell finished fourth, Botas fifth, Leclerc sixth, Sunoda seventh. Kevin Magnussen was ninth, sandwiched by uh, Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll, finishing eighth and tenth, getting Aston Martin their, their first points of the season. And then the aforementioned Lewis Hamilton down there in 13th, as you can see here, just to kind of give you a sense of the movement on the grid. That's kind of what it looks like. And when four of the top 10 drivers uh, on the grid to start the race are the bottom four finishers, there's going to be a lot of movement. And there you see Russell climbing seven spots, Sunoda and Vettel, uh, Stroll, Ocon, five, Albon, six, Gasly, four, like just crazy when you look at it. And then look, there's Nicholas Latifi, three points, <laughs> which is a, which is a, bonus isn't it yeah for for he he got that uh it's a two point he got, too, yeah right? he got a couple points despite uh finishing behind albon again but his biggest uh, points all of the season probably right yeah i think he's only been negative or zero and it was actually funny we you uh you mentioned on twitter like even with a zero he was in one of the winning lineups so <laughs> we'll we'll get into some of the uh the dfs implications of what happened from the race but just from um a, a general standpoint I, I i think it was a really uh great microcosm of why if you are involved in betting or dfs it does make the race really exciting because even though up front you know if you're tuning in it might have seemed like a somewhat boring uneventful race and we could talk a little bit about what we thought about the the um the drs not getting implemented for so long because of the the rain but having that action up front at the beginning um with ricardo with signs two of the most popular constructors in dfs are obviously always going to be ferrari and the mclaren is very popular with uh finished starting five six on the grid so within seconds of the race starting everybody that has ferrari or uh or mclaren constructors like almost drawing dead uh, you're obviously there's tons of race to go a lot of stuff can happen but um your, your hopes of having a great day are instantly dashed and then uh just so many lineup combos end up changing that much when when perez uh falls that far back uh, i'm sorry when uh when signs falls back ends up um ends up not finishing so many wrenches get thrown in the lineup and, and and it's really fun and then look at austin martin they finish in the points um you know we, we think they're a team that is right there with williams is the worst team and then all of a sudden they get double points so i think it makes it exciting from a viewer perspective because it it looks like we might have a top three team now it looks like mclaren kind of might be in that their own tier with with mercedes struggling again even though russell just you know keeps he's mr consistent it seems like mclaren probably is that three but i mean on a week-to-week -week basis teams four through nine it's really anybody's guess so that makes it fun for for watching for betting for for dfs and then uh you mentioned the 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 uh max verstappen lapping lewis hamilton um nico rosberg was having some fun with that one they had him on the on the uh the announcer's table for for from time to time and for those that don't know he used to be teammates with lewis hamilton and they had a pretty uh tumultuous relationship um uh switching off drivers championships while they were with mercedes so uh you you heard a little bit of joy in his voice when he talked about uh max lapping lapping lewis yeah, the one of the funniest things that and I wish I had come up with this joke, but one of the kind of jokes and I actually kind of the more I think about it, wonder if there are some truth to this, but it's was presented as a joke that a lot of people have suggested that George Russell is having a much better season than Lewis Hamilton because he's used to driving a crappy Williams car and now he's driving <laughs> yeah, heard, a crappy yeah. Mercedes car. And Lewis Hamilton's never driven a bad car in his career. Yeah. And he's struggling. And I mean, it's a joke. But it's one of those things where I'd love to talk to someone who's way more versed in this stuff and, than, than you and I are to be like, OK, it's presented as a joke, but how much reality is there in this? And that's a good point that you make about like some of these midfield teams. And I think we see in a race where there's some chaos and like, well, like you said, we'll dive into to nuts and bolts specifics of some of this stuff. But you see drivers who started 11th, 12th and 13th all end up well into the points in this race. And I think when you start to just as an overarching kind of thought about this, 
you're probably going to need to start targeting those kinds of drivers. You know, maybe the idea that this guy starts and he's not in a great car and he starts 11th or 12th and he's going to fall back. Maybe that's not the best philosophy. Like I mentioned, and, and I'll, I'll take the L on it now. Like I was concerned with Botas because he's usually a guy who qualifies fast and then maybe doesn't perform well in the race. He had an issue in the pits where his, like for whatever reason, like once a year, Botas has, just a, a, <laughs> yeah. a misfortune in the pits and if not for that like he probably could have passed russell and could have maybe even pushed norris like he might have had the third fastest car of anyone who finished the race yep. but you know he ended up losing like 10 seconds in the pits but but yeah i mean it was a really fascinating race uh and when you get that wreck on the first lap that takes out four of the top 10 drivers you're going to have some kind of fun variants and you end up with uh, a dfs lineup that uh, was kind of, I think, unexpected. I mean, I think we both were, were not expecting the lineup to win that did. And, you know, from the betting perspective, some of my hunches ended up coming true. I don't know if they were great ideas or not, but there were thoughts that I had kind of going in. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting. And thankfully to all of this stuff, I've kind of gotten more invested in the midfield and what happens in the back of the pack where I think the hardest thing for me before, look, I'll admit, like, I've watched Formula One here and there. Drive to Survive is what really got me really into it. Uh, and the hardest thing for me to wrap my head around as an American sports fan in particular is like winning is everything. Yeah. And yeah. so often, particularly in the years where Lewis Hamilton was just dominating year in, year in, year out, was that, okay, Lewis Hamilton gets the lead and then the race is over. And yeah. this race at the top was very uneventful, like we said. Like Verstappen was never at any point challenged in this race, but there were still a lot of really interesting things, and you can kind of latch on to people. I love Yuki Tsunoda, so like I was really happy to see him, him race well and respect the legacy of a guy like Vettel finishing eighth was awesome, and and Haas, the American team, again getting points. Like just a fun kind of thing to dig your teeth uh, to sink your teeth into this week. Yeah, and the <clears throat> you mentioned the the Botas struggles in the pits and again if you're if you're just watching without any action on it um he didn't even end up losing um a, a place obviously he fell back behind uh i think it was just russell at the time i, I think I don't, I don't know if lando was in front of him yet it, it might have been uh russell and and norris but like you said like he he his car was good he easily could have finished third in that race but if you're if you're if you have dfs uh, action like I'm laying in my bed at 6:30 in the morning screaming at the TV because <laughs> because like all of my lineups that need him to finish ahead of of Norris and Russell just are screwed in that bad pit stop. So again, if you're if you're just watching and you know you're, you're still a, a a drive to survive fan that might seem kind of interesting, but he doesn't lose a place or whatever. If you're playing DFS, like a third of your lineups are all of a sudden dead because of that little pit stop. So I I think it makes it super fun. Um, the the big I guess controversy from the race was them not enabling um, uh, DRS for so long because when there is rain, um, they they don't enable it. But it was pretty damn dry for a long time, and and the announcers were talking about it uh, a, a lot. I don't know how many people would have noticed it if they they weren't bringing it up so much. But they even asked Christian Horner about it, and and, and I think you could you could make the case that um, I mean. Max was so good all weekend that, that I don't think uh, it, it would have made a huge difference, but there was a short period there where Charles would have been within striking distance uh, of DRS, so that could have at least made a little bit of the battles up front. So that was a, a, a interesting thing with so much emphasis on the new cars and, and then wanting more uh, battles in terms of overtaking, and, and they kind of stripped that opportunity away yesterday. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure like personally how it, uh, how it really works in terms of like the mechanics of the the race director saying these are the absolute conditions. I'm assuming it's just at the discretion yeah. of the race director. So, and we have seen much less of the race director. And I think after the controversy last year at the end of the season, we're just not going to see much of the race director. Like Michael Massey is the name of the race director from last year. I think people are going to remember that name for a long, <laughs> for time. A long time. I think they're going to try to keep the name of the race director out of, out of public consciousness for, for much of the race, like it, I, I don't think it would have affected things at the top of the, the the race. I think what we saw was just that Verstappen and Perez were so much faster than Leclerc that, you know, had like Leclerc was gaining on Perez. And had he not yeah. made that mistake, he would have passed him probably. But Perez would have just been able to use DRS and pass him again. And I think just it's kind of like what we saw in Saudi Arabia with Max and Charles is that they were kind of trading 
back and forth, but Max had the faster car. I think we would have seen something similar to that. I still like can't, I'm still on the fence about whether or not I think Ferrari made the right decision to pit Leclerc. Like in, in hindsight, obviously it's like, oh, well that was a mistake. And I think it was a mistake to do it. I just don't think that they were going to be able to, the, the, the benefit of that wasn't going to out outweigh the, the risk and what ended up actually happening and losing points. I, you know, personally, I kind of think they should have just been like third, we'll take third place. We'll lick our wounds here and we'll head to Miami and just try to regroup. You know, I, I respect going for it at a certain point, but I don't, I don't know if that was the right strategy, but you know, the DRS wasn't able at that point. And I do think like, like we could have seen a good battle there between Leclerc and Perez towards the end, but I still just think that Perez would have ended up beating him. Yeah. I, and I, I guess from uh, going forward, it's, it's a good thing for us as fans because um, a, a week ago we were talking about the mathematics of the, uh, the driver's championship and Leclerc having it all but locked up. Now all of a sudden, um, they're they're right back into a a, um, a battle. You know, if if Max gets another W, especially if if, if Leclerc misses a podium, um, we really got a battle going. And I think con- with with the constructors, with Sergio just looking so much better than than Signs, and it's definitely some bad luck for Signs. But um, that that Red Bull constructor is going to be right there with them. Uh, anything stand out to you in terms of, of surprises? You kind of touched on some of the guys um, like Yuki, but but it was cool to see um, some of the guys up, up top. I, I really enjoyed the Yuki, and and I mean, say what you will about Stroll, it's cool to see a, a team like Austin Martin doing good, especially with Seb on that team. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I think just seeing cars like Botas, seeing Sunoda, Vettel, and, and Stroll, and Mag, like look at the it's it's. Alphatari to Aston Martins, a Haas, like you see a Mercedes out, you see a Ferrari out that wrecked, you see an Alpine, like Lewis Hamilton's nowhere to be found. So it was cool just seeing Yuki Tsunoda that fast in the race is always exciting. I just would love to see Yuki Tsunoda in like a faster car because I yeah. I just love his potential. He's he's still young and he's still learning a lot about like how to be a Formula One driver Absolutely. even after a year. But that was really surprising uh, to me. That was fun to see. Uh, um, otherwise, surprises, like I'm not sure I will. Uh, and I know we'll get into it in the DFS. And, I, and it's not just because I, I kind of thought this could happen. Just you got to give George Russell credit again for once again, that car stings yeah. compared to the top end, like compared to the top end cars like Ferrari and Red Bull. But every week he's managing to get the most that he can out of it. And I mean, a lot of people have said, oh, well, he's just getting lucky week in and week out. And there's certainly an element of that. Like there's a, a wreck on the first lap that allows him on, in the first lap of the race to gain five places. But look, man, luck is where opportunity meets preparation, right? Like Absolutely. He's, found, he's had these opportunities and he's done really well. And I kind of want to see him stop. And I like Lewis Hamilton a lot. Don't get me wrong, but I kind of want to stop seeing him be so differential to Lewis Hamilton when it's clear, like based on performance, he's the best Mercedes driver this year, uh, at least through the first four races. So, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be super interesting to see what Mercedes does going forward from, from a a team perspective. Like there's just, there's no reason uh, if, if the car is getting better at this point, I I don't know if they're going to have team orders to let, Hamilton be ahead at this point it just doesn't matter so that's going to be fun to watch um I mean it's probably super reactionary but people are already talking about you know is Lewis going to retire after this year if if he if he is like you know what's the motivation or whatever so I I think that's probably um just a reach we're always going to get that kind of discussion in sports with um with guys like Lewis especially with the age but from a betting and DFS perspective too it's going to be interesting to see um how they adjust and and I mean, Lewis, obviously, uh, one of the biggest disappointments um, of the year, um, of the week, especially with, with Russell doing um, so well. Any other disappointments for you? I, I know one of the midfield teams that we've been on uh, the past few weeks had a, a pretty crappy uh, week in Italy. Uh, which one might that be? Alpine? Yeah. Look, they've they've had some reliability issues all year. Like, it's they've had some issues with the car. It's, it's hard to say. Like, Ocon... Like, could Fernando Alonso have been one of the drivers in that five to ten range? Had had Mick Schumacher not gotten into him, like, I, I, maybe I don't know. Like, maybe Mick Mick Schumacher's a guy who because when when I think about like, okay, I want to see Yuki Tsunoda in a better car. Okay, what's that? What like, what possibility might exist? Lewis Hamilton is 
regardless of what it is, like he's just guys don't drive past 35, 36, 37 very often. And so he's only going to be on the grid for a couple of more years. It's going to open up a seat at Mercedes. Do they go after Lando Norris? Who do they go after? Daniel Ricardo is probably going to retire soon. And you'd have to assume that Mick Schumacher is somebody that people are going to want in a good car at some point, given that he's royalty, like he's the son of yeah. the legend yeah. in Formula One. But he has not really shown anything. And Haas has shown they've got some pace. Like last year was a lost year for Haas. We know that. But this year, Magnussen has come back in and been great. Schumacher starts 10th in this race and immediately wrecks and, and did finish the race, but was nowhere to be found. So that was disappointing. And I think like ultimately at one point that I did want to make about the, the title chase, because I think you can list Ferrari as having a really disappointing day, although the, the wreck, as opposed to what happened in Australia where Sainz made a mistake, this was just not his fault. Daniel Ricciardo admitted that it was his fault, but like. You know, if it had been Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen who had been as far up after three races the way Leclerc was, we would have been like, oh, well, nice title chase. We'll see you next year like that. And so so on and so forth. But Ferrari hasn't won a title in a long time as they haven't had a driver win the driver's championship in a long time. Clearly, Leclerc's never been in this position before. And you're going to start to see, you know, are those nerves going to be a thing? We're going to learn like a lot about what he has as a driver early on in the season under optimal conditions where he had a better car. Then Verstappen, he looked really calm and really cool, but made a mistake on the track that cost him three grid spots yesterday. And that can end up mattering later because when Max Verstappen finishes races, he's like, I, I saw something, and I think it was something along the lines of like in his last like 30 races that he's finished, like where he's actually finished. Like he's been first or second in all of them, but like two. Like Max Verstappen is so good when he yeah. stays on the track. And now he's, he's coming for. Leclerc's and Leclerc's never been in this spot. So it's really exciting and it's great that it's flipped and it's not Leclerc giving chase to Verstappen. It kind of adds some drama to what to expect as we move forward. Yeah. And this is like when, when you see, uh, if you're a new F1 fan, uh, like you talked about now, now that the, hopefully this, this uh, championship race is just going to keep getting closer and closer. It's why you'll see these teams, uh, have these late race strategies where they're trying to steal a fastest lap point. And we saw it, we saw it last year going into the last race of the season, Lewis and Max are, are tied in points. So, I mean, that what those one single points can make a difference. Uh, losing three grid positions in a single race, that makes a huge difference. And obviously you don't want to have something like Verstappen where you're having multiple races where you're retiring your car. But um, th those things are, are really fun just from a, not a, DFS, not a betting perspective, just from a fan, the excitement of the season. Um, that, that's those are things that are really excited to pay attention to. But let's jump into the DFS review portion of the show. Probably why most of you are tuning in here. And we did the preview show together. So uh our, our strategy going in is probably gonna be very similar um to each other's and to what we talked about uh on Saturday. But going into the week uh what, what was kind of your prep looking like what was your what was your main lineup decisions leading into um sunday morning yeah i mean for me we, when we talked about it on the show it was like there were a lot of cheap option midfield guys yeah. who were worth playing we talked about both aston martin guys being worth playing into mm -hmm. something to a varying degree they both really were both finishing in, in the points i thought maybe uh both of the haas cars would be uh options as well it turned out to be not so much the case with schumacher again was building mostly lineups with verstappen and leclerc as my captain but i felt and it's played out that way that you would want to lean more towards verstappen than leclerc i loved the idea of you know if you're going to play lando norris play him as a captain and you know he finished third and basically reached his ceiling projection you know, the only the only guy who like I feel like I whiffed on in terms of what I was expecting was Botas, who I was a little bit worried might not match what he did in the sprint. And he ended up doing better. But yeah, I mean, I think overall, I think we were kind of all over it. It just ended up being so much variance because, like we mentioned before, four of the top 10 guys to start the race were the bottom four drivers. So if you it was a good week to kind of spray some of the like Lando Norris was a great was just a great play, even as a driver. Like yep, yep. we didn't, I think we didn't expect there to be a scenario where playing Lando Norris just as a driver instead of your captain was going to be a winning strategy. And it turned out that that was the case. Yeah. And, and it's why, uh, 
from a strategy perspective and if you are turning into the uh to the strategy show why it, it can sometimes be tough for us to know exactly what our lineups are, are going to look like or how we're going to fit these pieces into our puzzle because we're the qualifying happens we, we have barely 24 hours to turn less than 24 hours to turn over qualifying to the race and get lineups and so we're doing the show usually before we started building lineups so on the surface when we just kind of thought about it logically looking at lando's salary it, it didn't make much sense to uh at least we thought it didn't make much sense to play him if he wasn't in the captain and, and that was probably our big whiff from the show but if you looked at it after you started building lineups how well he fit in as if uh, just let's say a, a max or even a charles lineup as a captain the way to make those lineups contrarian this week, and we'll get into this more when we look at, look at the winning lineups, was to have a um, like a, a mid-salary build outside of Max or Charles, and Lando actually fit that really nicely. Um, didn't realize that before the show. After I started build building, realized that a little bit more. But uh, something that really stood out to me in prep, uh, when we were on the show on Saturday, the Run the Sims projections came out as we were live, and something that was really surprising was a couple things that that I think we've noticed over the first three races in DFS was that we were kind of treating Red Bull and Ferrari as like 1A, 1B, um, whether it be Max and, and Charles or just as a constructor. Something that really popped to me was how much we were waiting Red Bull as the constructor over Ferrari and how much we had Max as the very obvious captain. Um, and that that combo obviously ended up working. We'll get into that, but uh, it was it, it was dominated how much more you should have Max in your captain um, if you were paying attention to the optimal rates in the Sims. And then a couple of things we talked about, we wanted to be, you kind of mentioned, Haas, Williams, um, uh, um, not Alfa Romeo, but um, Austin Martin, those cheap teams wanted to be heavy on a lot of those guys because we expected there to be big gaps in the ownership and, and we can kind of uh, work in both drivers from those lower salary teams uh, because you are chasing those plus fives. And then we loved Botas and, and Yuki. Uh, Botas was in a ton of lineups. Yuki Sonoda surprisingly didn't have very high ownership. He was cheap and starting way ahead of Gasly. So that was one of the, the bigger surprises. But we we were all over Yuki. So if you, if you used him, obviously you had a very good day. That was exciting. Um, and then pretty much standard stack and salary stuff that we're going to talk about um, every week. We're always just going to kind of have our, our normal mix of Red Bull and Ferrari stacks and, and um, trying to be contrarian in, in those lineups to a fair amount, mixing up our constructor uh, captain stacks, like not using them in 100% of lineups, even though we do keep seeing them at the top, you, you need to give yourself some outs when that doesn't work. Um, and then the, the big thing was just McLaren, um, we had a lot of, uh, hopefully a lot of Lando, if, if you were paying attention to the show. Um, unfortunately, a lot of McLaren Constructor, if you were listening to the show. Um, but that's just kind of the way the ball bounces. Um, any Anything else before we get into what actually worked on the week? So one of the points that I wanted, and this will kind of be a, a lead into it, because you mentioned Yuki's ownership was lower than you expected. And when you TJ posted the winning lineups for all four races this year and where the ownerships were, it was what, like 17% ownership for Yuki? Yeah, Yuki was week, 17. Yesterday. Which was crazy to me. And I get it. So I did some digging on a couple of things. So Gasly last year beat Yuki head-to-head -head 17 of the 22 races. But how much of that can you chalk up to Yuki being a rookie and Gasly being a guy who's been around the circuit for a while? Like, I think people probably see that number and, and think, okay, well, yeah, I mean, he's usually finishing behind Gasly, so maybe I'll stay away from it. So I did some more digging. And so through four races this year, teammates who start three or more grid spots higher than their teammate are 12 and eight head to head. But four of the losses were because of either a wreck or issues with the car. And then two of them were just three spot differences between teammates. And one of them was Verstappen against Perez in uh, Australia or in Saudi Arabia. So by and large, if you've got, if a guy's got a three or more grid spot advantage on his teammate, he's going to win most of the time unless his car blows up. So it, it was just, wild to me when you posted that that yuki was that low owned and i know his his salary was higher than say like a was much higher than like a vettel or an albon but 
it was still workable. Like it wasn't one that it was going to keep like Yuki was going to be the guy to keep you from having, like you could have Charles Max and I think Red Bull and Yuki and still like put good lineups together with Yuki in them. And so was very surprised. That was kind of the thing when you posted that, that surprised me the most, at least in terms of like numbers coming out of this. Yeah. And, and I, I believe I, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure we actually had Yuki projected for only about 20% ownership. I could try to look it up here um, real quick, but while I'm looking it up, the just from a, a DFS perspective, yeah, we had him projected for, um, yeah, we had him projected for 20% ownership. So if you, if you don't know anything about Formula One, just from a DFS perspective, if all you know about F1 uh, DFS is the scoring system and the salaries, if you look at a driver that's starting five grade positions ahead, that is $2,400 cheaper and is only going to be in 17 to 20% of lineups. Like that's just an edge that we're going to try to push every single time. If you know, I'm going to have 40% of Yuki in my lineups in those situations. If it doesn't hit, it doesn't hit. But like when we talk about finding edges in DFS, that's like an edge like that is just insane. I would, I would almost argue it's it's more of an edge than like these situations where we have a um, an Albon and Latifi and Albon's double the ownership. Like you want some Latifi there, but that percentage of times um, you're going to hit on that is, is probably lower than you would like, but there's still ownership edge. But when you have just a gross ownership error by the field, um, that's something I really want to push. So I, I thought that was a, a really good point. Yeah. And by the way, Latifi head to head with Russell last year, uh, he only won six. So actually one more head to head than Yuki did against uh against ghastly last year but yeah. he also latifi was not a rookie so yeah um let's jump into uh the the what actually worked in um our justin freeman of run the sims actually chopped first place so that is very exciting because we've been pushing the run the sims and if you relied heavily on the run the sims projections and the optimal rates uh you probably had a very big week so going through it uh winning lineup was max captain uh lando botas yuki sonoda uh, uh sebastian vettel and then the red, uh, red bull constructors so as we mentioned the the thing that um really pops out is getting that um kind of mid salary build uh with lando uh botas and and uh seb was cheap enough but a lot of a lot of the lineups were some combination of Max Charles and then a um, a bunch of cheap guys. So that was a um, great lineup by Justin, and uh, I believe it was twenty five other lineups. But uh, again, he uh, we, we'll go into some of the specifics of of Justin's strategy, not this just this lineup, but um, a great lineup overall. Yeah, and it's it's kind of what we we talked about a little bit with you end up with four guys falling out of the top 10. And so if you, you played Lando Norris, Lando Norris is kind of the key guy. I feel like here, Botas, Botas expensive, but not super expensive. But if you're dealing with like, you get Norris a little bit cheaper than you would get like a Sergio Perez or a Carlos signs. And he obviously didn't perform better than Sergio Perez, but that what like grand grand and a half difference between uh those two guys probably allows you to be able to also have Botas as opposed to maybe if you like say, I mean, you couldn't do, you would have to do Carlos signs if you have Max and Red Bull. So it'd be Carlos signs. And I do think that's almost, yeah, around, uh, I'm not off the top of my head. Sure. What signs his price was probably like 9,600, somewhere in 9,500. Signs was, where is it? Signs was 10,000, 10,000. Yeah. So you get 2000 bucks there that can definitely get you a Botas. And instead of having to play Sunoda, Vettel and Albon, which Albon would have got you six points. Like he, he, he beat his teammate. He finished the race. Like those six points that Albon's going to get you a lot of weeks are going to win. Like if, if Charles Leclerc finishes ahead of Lando Norris, then it's probably a Verstappen. It's in a mil, it's probably a 1 million way chop between, you know, Verstappen, Leclerc, Albon, Tsunoda, Vettel, Red Bull kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's really what stood out to me was Lando just ending up having another great race at Imola and being such a value play compared to the other things that you could do. Like, I don't think there was I wonder what the best lineup of Verstappen and Sergio with someone else as the constructor would have been like what the the ceiling in terms of placement would have been. Um, but that's why, like, another thing is you can't underestimate is how much the constructor really, really does matter. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like we talked about in the last race where 
uh, Ferrari almost ended up being the number one constructor, even though Sainz didn't finish the race because Leclerc was so dominant in that race. And in this case, like Red Bull getting 62 points, if you just, if you played anybody else, even like, even if Leclerc had finished second or third in this race, like Red Bull still going to crush as a constructor. Yeah. And, and that's why, um, even though the the last couple weeks have been kind of chaotic, we did have a solo 50k winner um, in in the their last race in in Australia, and this was a you know a, a 24 or 25 way chop or whatever. I still wish DraftKings, if they're not going to adjust the driver's salary, I still wish they would adjust the constructor salary because right now everybody is just playing red bull and ferrari they combined again right around 80 percent combined ownership on those two constructors and we're going to have a race where max or, or charles don't fit where they both don't finish and and another there's going to be a weird roster construction that works but it's just there, there's just so little incentive right now to get off of those lineups at least in a significant portion of, of your lineups like if you if you're playing 100 lineups you're still probably playing uh you're still probably playing red bull and ferrari and probably 100 of 150 if, if not more so I, I would like to see DraftKings raise the salary on the constructor but there's no point in um crying over the things you can't control so we're just going to keep working with what we want what we can work with but uh s some notes on Justin's winning lineup and Justin's strategy as a whole. One of the great things about DraftKings is if you are really trying to get good at DFS, you can extract the CSV of all of the lineups and, and look at every lineup that everybody played. So we we are able to quickly look at Justin's 150 lineups and and I have some notes on on what he did, but just from again, just from his lineup perspective, why this lineup was good, you were kind of talking about the salary and We've talked about leaving salary on the table, and this lineup gets contrarian by getting off of a Max Charles build. So it's not leaving a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars on the table, but it does still leave four hundred dollars on the table. And I think a lot of DFS players are still going to look at that and say, "Well, who else can I can I get up to?" Um, again, that that mid salary build instead of just a pure stud and dub with Charles and Max is, I, I think, the the big difference here. And I mentioned I I went into justin's uh portfolio from the csv that you can extract and 35 percent of teams in the field had max and charles in a lineup together in some format so automatically if that doesn't hit you're taking 30 you're taking 3500 to 4000 lineups out of the equation out of 11000 lineups so you're just if that doesn't hit you now you have a leg up on on over a third of the field um only about a third of justin's teams that had max as a captain flex charles so it's not that he wasn't using those combinations but he gave himself so many outs when it doesn't hit you know two-thirds of his teams that have max as a captain don't have charles so if you do that if you are playing 20 250 lineups you're you're more likely you're not going to be able to cover all your bases but you're going to land on this type of combination if you're actively trying to figure out ways to not have max and charles together which i just think was a a, a very sharp strategy because we now we do have three now four weeks of data after this race of, of what the field is doing and if you had if we look at all of the teams that had max and charles together with one of them as the captain on average all of those different combinations were duped 88 times so like if you're playing max and charles together you're playing for on average an 88 way chop uh the 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 most duplicated lineup in the tournament was max captain charles driver k mag albon seb with red bull construct constructor that used all 50k salary that was duped 405 times so if you're playing that in the big tournament if it hits you're chopping 123 dollars so it's like what are you even doing at this point if you're if you're getting this obvious lineup where you have max charles red bull max charles ferrari and then just the three cheap guys that fit that are the favorites on their team it, it's almost pointless to play that lineup at this point because if if you're if you're playing 100 lineups 15 dollars a pop why roll out one that's going to win you 120 bucks like when the first place is fifty thousand dollars um so now that we have three or four weeks of data these are the kind of things that we need to be thinking about i think if you're if you're using if you're plugging it in and you lock those three in whatever combination of max charles red bull ferrari constructor and then you just click 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 three cheapest guys like 
that, that that's not going to do you're you know maybe you'll chop for 500 bucks or something but uh in in smaller tournaments and smaller fields if there's only you know a uh, hundred people in the tournament or if you're playing like a 10 man or something sure but at this point it just it doesn't make sense to be playing these lineups in large fields yeah that's fair there's a question in the chat that i, I have no idea how to answer so i'm going to ask you because yeah. you would know much better than i would i'm going to throw it up on the screen here so dk needs to change the format to make it less likely to dupe, which I think we both agree with. Have you crunched any numbers to see if it's plus EV to dupe yourself in order to cash higher if the line hits? So I, 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 we've, we actually, I don't remember if we talked about this on the show with Justin. I think that there um, might be some, it, it might be a, not a horrible idea to run out some trains. Um, and, and what that means is just if instead of playing, say, say you're playing a 20, uh, a 20 max um, lineup playing four, just four lineups, running them out five times. I think in, I think in the biggest tournament, if you're going to be playing 150 lineups, um, I think there are enough combinations where you, um, probably don't need to do that because if you are using something like the run the sims and, and doing what justin did and he if if you look at you can go to the csv you could download all the lineups look at the players he used and compare it to the run the sims optimal rates like he was almost perfectly on par with that and it just absolutely crushed so if you're doing something like that i think if you're playing 150 lineups you want the you want to give yourself the chance at that solo 50k um, we're playing for $50,000. So you want to maximize your chances at that. If you're playing something where the field is only like 500, or if, even if you're playing like the 100 man, like three, 333, I, I think you can make the case with the smaller, the field you, you, you can play, um, a few trains. So we're not going to get DraftKings to, to change. Um, I, I think we just kind of need to change our thinking instead of trying to maximize our points and maximize, um, our, our, our projection, I think we should maximize the number of unique lineups that we're creating, whether that's leaving salary on the table, whether that's getting away from Max and Charles combinations. Um, I, I, that should be your primary focus. Like, how can I get the most unique lineups or the least duplicated lineups? And I'm not saying you, sh if you're, again, if you're playing 150 lineups, like, I'm going to have, like, like uh, Justin did in, in his portfolio, we're going to have a fair amount of charles and 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 um max combos but like the most obvious ones stay away from the top three or four most obvious obvious ones if you're playing for that 50k because i don't want to chop 100 bucks that's that's dumb that's i think a reasonable <laughs> way to 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 answer that question yeah i wasn't sure about it and i did play that optimal lineup and i think that was the only one that ended up making me Sorry, the it most, cashed. most it cashed. It cashed. Yeah. It cashed. Um, yeah. It didn't. It didn't put me in the 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 black for. I play the the cheaper league. It still didn't put me in the black for what I did. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point. If you're playing a ton of lineups, like fifteen to to win a hundred and twenty bucks, when you're you know you're going to have to play fewer than obviously like ten lineups. You're only going to have to play a handful of lineups. It just seems to limit your possibility for winning if you're going to play that very obvious lineup. And I think as we've seen, like if you play it, it would have ended up winning and chopping a million ways. But like we said earlier, you know, I think we said it on air. Don't remember if we said it on air or off air, but you know, we've only had one race this year where Ferrari and Red Bull locked out the podium, and that was in Saudi Arabia, which was supposed to be the 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 uh, the the on the unlikely the, the least race, predictable, yeah. the least predictable race. Thank you. The most unpredictable race is the the phrase I was looking for that I completely blanked on. And so as we've seen like through three of those races. And when you have a driver like Leclerc, who is exceptionally talented and the fastest or second fastest individual car on the grid, but is inexperienced in, in a title chase. And we've seen Red Bull has had some re reliability issues like through four races. We've seen what the possibilities are going to be for things to go wrong. And I think like as we've if we've learned anything, you you have to plan for those contingencies and start diversifying the portfolio. If you really want to win a lot of money, you might it might maybe end up be a boom or bust strategy. But like if you end up winning fifty thousand dollars, then you know if you're it's you're you're maxed out like it's a couple grand more or less like a couple grand that you can bet a week, and there's twenty two races. So if you win. The fifty thousand. If you play all the max possible lineups and you win fifty thousand once, you're in the black for the entire exactly. yeah, season. Exactly. Yeah. So I get where yeah. you're coming from. Uh, yeah, and and again, I I think I I wish DraftKings had 
the full lobby right now because I haven't really looked at, at what they're offering in terms of <clears throat> cash games and leagues. But if if they are rolling out um, like multi-entry 50-50s, like by all means, run trains in that, get these chalky lineups. You know, if, if you if you could play 150 lineups, like, you know, run them as many times as you want in, in a 50-50 or a double up. That, that definitely makes a ton of sense. Um, in, in these tournaments, I, I think maybe counterintuitively i think it might make sense running some trains in the smaller fields um and when you're chasing this 50k i think you want to maximize your opportunities to hit that 50k but if you're playing for a thousand bucks and the field is only a thousand people yeah I, I would definitely encourage experimenting with running some trains um I'm, I'm, i want to bring up uh one of these questions can you bring up that last question from from samuel uh, campagna or whatever do we know the the percentage difference by deducting a hundred dollar increments by salary um if we're talking about the the changes in dupes i've i've been posting every single week um what we're seeing in terms of of duplicated lineups um by salary and it looks like kind of that sweet spot where the diminishing returns versus like not having more any more dupes is somewhere probably in that like leaving fifteen hundred dollars to like two thousand dollars off the table um that's where like if you're leaving more than that you're probably leaving too much salary on the table and and just you're getting unique lineups but you don't need to leave that much more to, to get unique you're just making worse lineups so i, I would look for that fifteen hundred dollars to 2k off the table kind of seems to be um that that sweet spot um but thanks for the questions I, I, it's 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 fun you guys are getting in here because uh you know that that's what we're here for yeah, was the uh, Jeff Hicks answered this question? We think, but just to clarify, was the winning lineup the optimal lineup? Do you know? I mean, if uh, optimal, I can't imagine there was would have been one that wasn't. But I don't know if you knew offhand. I mean, if you're talking about like optimal from like a a lineup generator, um, that it's it's typically going to max out your 50k, and uh, that lineup that was duped 405 times, that would have that's what the optimal would have looked like. That that Max Charles, um, uh, what was it? Max Charles, K Mag, um, Albon, Seb, Reb, that would have been your like your optimal in a in a lineup constructor. And Justin's working on a lineup constructor for um, for Run the Sims, so keep an eye out for that. Um, looking at at ownership, and, and again, just looking at at um, what Justin did. Again, the the big thing was Yuki at eighteen percent. That that was huge. But if we look at that combo of Valtteri and Lando, Valtteri was at 23%, Lando was at 27%. So that's basically the pivot right there off of uh, Charles Leclerc. He was at 59%. So again, by going down to Valtteri and Lando instead of Charles, you get two guys sub 30% instead of a, uh, uh, a 60% guy. And then it also gets you off of that Albon K-Mag combo. Both of those guys were in 40% of lineups. So um, just a really, really great pivots all around here by Justin. Yeah, and and I think like that's going to be an important strategy going forward. I mean, like we said earlier, it's what we've learned about this is the the lineups that okay, well if and I think that's kind of an interesting way to to think about it if, you know, you can get Valtteri and Lando for like 23 and 27 and salary-wise, they're not going to be like it's it's doable, I guess. Like obviously guys of that quality, it's not going to be an even salary match for Charles Leclerc because they're two of the like, you know, mid mid tier guys, a little bit higher, but same time, like, you know, if you get those two guys, you know, Valtteri's like 68 or something like that, Lando's eight. So you're paying like 14, eight for two guys who are good drivers and Charles is 11 or whatever it is, you know, those are going to be the kind of decisions that you probably need to start playing more and more, uh, more and more because that's going to be the way that you're going to make money. Yeah. One, one other note that I wanted to, to make on um, actually a couple more notes I wanted to make on Justin's lineup. I, I skipped how he stacked. He had a single stack, a, a captain, a constructor stack. We've seen that win in three or four races. Um, that doesn't mean you should exclusively be doing that uh, in, in what I've been doing every week. And again, what if, if you extract Justin's lineups from the contest, about 50 50. Um, captain constructor versus non-captain constructor so yeah it's been hitting but there, there's a lot of scenarios where captain constructor can win uh so i would just say be co cognizant of that don't be blindly stacking those i you should still be having a stack i i still think a, a double stack is going to hit soon i had a couple double stacks um built this week i, I think that's a strategy you want to be used sparingly um but i think probably I would say 100% of the time, stack your constructor with at least a driver. Um, I, I just don't see a reason not to do that. So, but you don't always have to stack it with your captain. And then just some some quick notes on, on Justin's lineup. Um, by getting off of of 
Leclerc and going to Lando and Botas, he was able to lock in not just five uh, players or drivers that beat their teammate, but also five top tens. That's not always going to be the case. Just sometimes, just depending on how the 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 grid ends up, uh, you know, the the Albon plus five plus Charles second place is going to be more valuable than chasing those top tens. But this week, um, it, it it worked out. So I, I thought. Uh, it was a really good example of pivots, but again, just go into and, and, and think about it from a portfolio sake. And I think the notes we touched on there are, um, are really interesting. Definitely. I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> cool. Um, well, I mean, it, 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 I'm really excited for the coming races because we have, we have four weeks of data now again, which a, a lot can change, but we're, we're, I think we're getting a really good grasp on what the field is doing. And, and again, check out my Twitter for that and, and how we can combat what the field is doing, what DraftKings is going to offer it. Um, if they don't change salary type things next week, I just don't think it's going to happen, especially with, um, you know, with us having a 50 K winner with, with some things just like kind a little bit of chaos. I, I have a feeling they're not going to change much. So um, let's, let's work with what we got and, and um, really attack it. I'm really disappointed that they didn't give us a really big con at least a quarter million dollar prize pool for Miami. Um, they actually lowered the prize pool for the main GPP. Like it's a U.S. facing race with U.S. friendly time. I was hoping we would get some really big contests. They haven't added. Maybe they add some. Some maybe they bump the the uh, contest size on on those medium sized contests. That would be fun for the average um, player. You know, if if the one and four dollar contests are a bigger prize pool, that would be a really nice consolation. So. Um, if anyone from DraftKings is listening, help us out on this Miami race. We could we could show you guys how much how important F one can be to you guys. Yeah, I mean it's it's exciting. It's a new track, as as one of the the viewers OA mentions. It's a a new track. Nobody has any idea what to expect, and that's been kind of one of the fun things about doing this all year. Is you know first race of the year in Bahrain, new cars. We don't know how they're going to react. Second race of the year, Saudi Arabia is supposed to be the unpredictable one. Australia, they hadn't been to in a few years and they made some changes to the track. And then Emila, they, you throw in the sprint for the first time there and less upgrades than you would normally get for the first European race because now you're going to Miami for the first time ever. So every race this year, we've had new variables and things like that. And it's going to be a hard game to beat for people because every week so far, there's been a different added little bit of wrinkle to it. And we're not going to really have an idea of what to i mean obviously you should expect going into miami that red bull and ferrari are probably going to be the two best teams out there but who the hell knows what's going to happen once they get on track on sunday you know obviously you can just do what you can in qualifying and make the best judgments that you can and if one guy is three seconds faster than or three or three tenths of a second faster than anybody else in qualifying the way leclerc was in australia over everyone then that's probably the guy that you want to put to, to back more than anyone else but we we have no idea and and yeah 330 race time right eastern yep. for miami yep. on abc like they don't put these races on i think they did one race on linear tv last year as well like they don't put them on linear tv but in a nice sunday 330 time slot it is a great opportunity for not just DraftKings for uh yeah, come on, fantasy, DraftKings. but for for sports betting and all of that kind of stuff to see what uh, we get for just an audience perspective and more people interested in playing it instead of like, you know, you talked about it and you were up. We got, it was funny. You got the, I got a message from you on Slack at like five 30 in the morning or eight 30, my time you were awake and ready to go. But for a lot of people on the West, granted Coast, I was still in bed, but yeah, we're most still people aren't. and it's your livelihood. Like if you yeah, play yeah, this, but sure. it's not your livelihood, man, if you're on the West coast, like formula one kind of locks you out most of the year where it doesn't, when we're doing this race. So yeah, come on DraftKings. This is an impassioned plea. More offerings, more bets to be made. Although DraftKings does do a better job than some of the other ones in terms of the variety of things and they do race parlays and all that kind of stuff, but more contests, more bigger prize pools. Let's go a couple times a year. Do it in Miami, do it in Austin. The rest of the year you can kind of do what you normally do. But when it's in the States, when you have Americans tuned into this, the way that this sport is growing in this country, uh, it just makes too much sense to not do it. So that's what we're asking. Please. Please, DraftKings. Yeah, and if you're on the West Coast for those those non-US races, um, you can always just go with the 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 uh, aggressive uh, option and just just try to find the bottom of that whiskey bottle up until the race starts, and then go to sleep after the race. That, that's it's a Sunday. You got you can just sleep exactly. all day. Exactly. Um, uh, before we get out of here, uh, you threw out a, a bunch of uh, betting uh, 
uh, props and, and, and bets that um, absolutely smashed. And uh, yeah. why, why don't you go over um, those bets that hit? Just remember, folks, scared money don't make money. Scared <laughs> money don't make money. And I was a little scared to bet on all of my bets. So I ended up only betting two of these. And of course, I bet the one that didn't win. But I said George Russell top six at plus one, 195. That basically cashed on the first lap of the race. Sebastian Vettel to finish in the points at plus 270. That's the one I'm kicking myself over. Like Russell to finish in the top six needed a lot of things to go his way. They did Lando Norris to finish on the podium at plus 500. We obviously needed Charles Leclerc to make a massive mistake late in the race for that to go our way. Sebastian Vettel finishing in the points plus 270. I was just so worried about the pace that he showed in the sprint, which really didn't end up mattering at all. And obviously the wrecks and everything helped him move up. But uh, that one I was kind of kicking myself over. But I did mention Lando Norris, a podium finish at plus 500. Sergio Perez, fastest lap, plus 500, also did not cash. He had a fast car. Max Verstappen had the fastest car. But Max Verstappen was all the way down to, I said, minus 125 when we did the preview show. By race time, he was even money, which baffles me. I want to know who steamed Leclerc or someone else in that uh, moment when uh, – so I ended up having to – you just have to at that point. If you're going to give me Max Verstappen when he was clearly the best car in conditions that were going to be favorable to him – I have no idea why that was. And then they do race props on DraftKings and a uh, trifecta box. So if you're thinking like horse racing, paramutual betting, win place show, uh, they had a Verstappen, Perez, Norris, all to podium. So in any order, just all of them to podium was plus 900. I don't know what the fair price of that would have been because I, I know Norris was plus 500. I don't know what. Perez and Verstappen. I know Verstappen was probably like minus 310 or something like that. I don't know what Perez was. He was probably had probably the third best odds of anyone, but just kind of fun. I wanted to keep track of it, but with Max winning the race, uh, that kind of crushed any opportunity for any of those parlays. I will word of advice if you're on that, like oh, shout out to DraftKings for offering them and putting them out there. Most of them are really, really bad bets that are not going to have much of a chance to hit. Uh, I would think some of the small plus money ones are usually going to be okay, but like the way that it's gone this year where um, where Max and Charles have finished on the podium together just once, right? Uh, in Australia, in so. Saudi Arabia, yep. right? Yep. Yeah, because Max didn't finish yep. two races yep. and Charles finished six. Yep. So like that kind of stuff, Carlos Sainz keeps finishing out of the point. So be wary of them. They're fun to look at. They're fun to think about. And if you've seen one that you think has an edge or something like that, that's great. But um, – but, you know, they're, they're fun to think about. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, everything that I thought kind of could happen in this race. If things broke a certain way, ended up happening. That's not going to happen a lot of weeks. But, you know, we'll be happy with it. And I ended up betting, you know, more on Verstappen than I did on the Sergio Perez one. So from a betting perspective, it was a winning week. And that kind of put me into the black when you combine my betting and my DFS. So uh, that was certainly helpful. But it could have been better if I had just trusted myself. But, hey, it is what it is. Uh, it was a good week and a good race, and man, it would be fun to go be there in Miami. I will offer a word of oh. caution if you're watching our show and you are going to Miami for this race. Just know it is nowhere near the beach. <laughs> yeah. This track is around a football stadium. It is in Miami Gardens, not Miami Beach. It's where it's around Hard Rock Stadium, where the Dolphins play. Everything's going to be mad expensive. They're bringing in fake yachts. In a big yeah. arena, <laughs> I, I have, it's still gonna be fun. I have a bone to pick with the tickets too because I I signed up. Uh, you know they they had a, a waiting list um, when tickets went on sale and then they announced them and the, the whole Ticketmaster get in line thing they sold out in like five minutes or whatever instantly it shot up to twelve hundred bucks on on the secondary markets. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Ticketmaster and the, the Miami GP sends out an email that if you were if you were in the original line to get tickets, they're re-releasing a handful of tickets to those that were online. You got to get back in line. I got through. Tickets were available. They were selling them at resale prices. I was like, oh, you guys are jerks. You guys tried to trick me. So um, if you are going, have fun. Send yeah. us pictures. Send us pictures. <laughs> um, we'll be back in two weeks with the preview and strategy show for the miami grand prix again that is a uh that's a very unique time for for usual f1 that race um the race and qualifying is 3 30 eastern time i believe so with with qualifying being that 
late in the day, uh, probably going to be tough for us to get a Saturday show in. So we're thinking about doing a uh, NFL style Sunday morning show. And, and that should be great for those that do uh, tune in because that means we would have had time to grind some lineups already. So if we do go with the Sunday morning show, it'll be super dynamic. Um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely keep you guys posted. So so stay tuned for that. It'll be a it'll be a really fun preview because nobody knows what the hell to expect. Uh, just as a reminder, as I mentioned, uh, Justin Freeman just crushing first places. Run the Sims deal. Go to runthesims.com and use promo code 444 for 10% off USFL and F1 projections, tools, and content for betting and DFS. If you are a best ball fan, 444 fan, get a free 444 Pro subscription by depositing at least $10 on Underdog Fantasy. Use the promo code 444 and you'll also get a bonus deposit match up to $100. You must be a new Underdog user. You can sign up for that in the link in the description below. Uh, make sure you're checking out all of our plans. The 444 betting plan has been fantastic. We have NFL draft this week. We have a ton of betting props on that, so make sure you're signed up uh, before the NFL draft for that. Uh, make sure you check out the BetSports bundle right now available on Dynasty League Football. Get you access to Dynasty League Football, 444, the Fantasy Life app, and BetSports for just $99 instead of $209. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're watching and give us a like. If you are listening on any of your favorite podcast uh, providers, please rate and review. Five stars would be awesome. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, 444 is at 444football. Check out BetsBerts at BetsBertsGolf. Dan is at really Dan Weiner. Check out Run the Sims at Run the Sims. I'm at TJ Hernandez. We'll talk to you guys in two weeks.